Welcome to the Law School Admissions Simplify podcast, where we talk about all things LSAT, law school admissions, and otherwise. I'm Ben. I do LSAT prep and law school admissions full time. If you like what we do here, you can find me on Instagram, where I post about the admissions process at LSA Simplified, or on my website, lsasimplified.com. I've written an LSAT book you can find on Amazon, which is called LSA Simplified LSAT Primer. I also have a free ebook version of that that you can find via the link tree in my Instagram bio. Um, I also host free LSAT sessions monthly. You can get that by signing up to my email list, either through my website or through Instagram. And I also have paid monthly courses, tutoring, and on-demand options for LSAT preppers. Okay, so today we're going through a few things. Um, it was recently an LSAT score release date. This is not going to come out that close to the score release date, just due to the nature of the timing of this. But I think kind of going through emails of people receiving their scores should be interesting just to kind of see um, how people react, what a reasonable reaction is, and then kind of what a maybe overly anxious reaction is. Additionally, we're going to talk about a little bit of law school lingo and touch on some Reddit questions. If we have time, we'll do a personal statement from the bank. I am pretty backed up on those. However, if you still want to get yours in the queue, you're welcome to send it over. If you're applying for 2025, you have plenty of time to get yours reviewed. Um, but yeah, so with all that, let's dive in. So the uh, first question is saying, I watch your YouTube videos and find them quite helpful especially the one with Mallory, since I'm also applying to hybrid programs. I got waitlisted out of school. I applied early decision to any recommendations slash advice on getting that A. So the first thing here is that generally I say don't apply early decision because early decision locks you into the school. It really is binding for law school admissions. So you're not going to be able to get out of it. And additionally, you forfeit your chance to get scholarship money because they know you have to come there. People seem to um, have this idea that law schools give out money out of the goodness of their heart. And there's a reason no one goes to med school on a full ride. And it's because they don't have to give you a full ride to pull you away from another school. They know that you're happy to go to med school. But with law school, it's so easy to get in. And it's so competitive that instead of you competing for the schools, the schools are competing for you. If that doesn't sound true, it's because you bought the bill of goods the law schools sell you. Law school is incredibly easy to get into. The difficult part is getting an offer that you're happy with. Um, and even that's not that difficult if you approach it correctly. But if anyone's ever telling you getting into law school full stop is difficult, they're a dumb dumb. It's not hard. Like if you have an undergrad GPA, there are schools that will be happy to take your money. So with that in mind, they give you scholarship money so that if you're applying to Loyola, you don't instead go to a higher ranked school. I don't know what Loyola's competitors are in Los Angeles. I have to imagine like Pepperdine is probably higher ranked. Obviously UCLA and USC are going to be more highly ranked. So the reason Loyola would give you money is because... Um, they want to pull you away from those schools. However, if you got waitlisted out of school, you applied early decision to, they don't really want you because they don't even want you paying full tuition, which means you're a brutal application for them. Um, so if they don't even want to take your money, it's going to be pretty tough. The only way that you could convey it is to really show interest and maybe establish a human connection with an admissions person. But I would advise against that because even if you're doing that, you are paying full price out of school that you should not be paying full price out. Loyola is not enough a good enough school to pay sixty, seventy thousand dollars. I don't know what their tuition is, but let's pull it up real quick. Um, so the way I'm pulling this up is I'm going to their 509 report. So you can find that for any school in the country by searching blank law school 509 in Google. It'll pop up. They all have to put them out. Loyola's tuition is $65,000 a year. So fuck no, you should not be getting in off the wait list. If you're getting in off the wait list at Loyola, don't. Like that's just such a bad plan. I, I don't know. Um, so yeah, good news for you. You don't have to get off the wait list because that's a terrible plan. 
However, if you wanted to for some, you know, I'm not even gonna say that because um, that just feels like I'm giving you the rope to hang yourself. Also, they, they called me the wrong name in their email. They called me a different LSAT prep person, which I just find amusing. Um, but if you kind of show that level of like discare in your law school applications, um, I mean, they called me by the name of another LSAT prep person. If you do that, like with law schools or with the admissions person name that you're talking to, not going to go well. Uh, so be very careful. Um, that can piss people off. It doesn't piss me off, <laughs> but it could. Um, another one, this is just a fun one. But so it's January score release day. This is someone who did one month of my course in July, and she just took the January test. And she says, Ben, my diagnostic score was a 126, semicolon, my score was a 155. I'll take it, exclamation point. Thanks for all your help. And then it goes, ah, all caps, A-H-H-H-H-H-H, one exclamation point. Um, so that's awesome to hear. Obviously, a 29-point improvement is pretty huge. Uh, that being said, this person may be able to go higher. If they could go higher, I would push even further. But, you know, to go up anywhere over 20 points is an awesome improvement. With a 126, this person is not getting admitted to any law school in the country. How with a 136 or a 146, they're still getting terrible offers. With a 155, this person is now at least going to get offers where, like, I don't lose sleep at night over them. Um, They can probably get a full ride to some pretty low-ranked schools. And that's honestly better than paying full tuition for a higher-ranked school if you're in this person's boat. Like, keep the risk low. So then if you, being a lawyer doesn't happen to be for you, um, which is going to happen for a decent amount of people that max out at 155 you're not saddled in with 200k in debt so hopefully this person gets a full ride i don't know what their deal is going to be but i am hopeful for them all right this next one and i'll keep this all anonymous um but this is from initials sf and they say hi exclamation point i got my score back today and i got the same scores i did in november 145 i'm wondering if i should keep the score or cancel it do you have any advice for me thank you sf and i would say yeah i mean it's not ideal. A 145, like we just talked about, is not going to get you any offers worthwhile. Um, however, canceling it doesn't really matter. You already have a 145 on record. So I generally lean towards just keeping them because if you do cancel them, you open up that possibility for the school to infer you did worse. They'll assume you did worse. And since it's the same score, I would just keep it. Obviously, a 145 is not going to get it done in the admissions process to a point that you should be happy with. But, you know, I don't see any reason to cancel it. Um, Schools don't average scores. They take your highest score. Uh-oh. My phone's being weird. One moment, folks. Someone left me a voicemail. I'm on Do Not Disturb, but nonetheless, they left me a voicemail. So apologies on that. Um, so yeah, annoying stuff there. But basically, with a 145, you're just going to want to keep it. Like, yeah, it sucks. You're going to have to retake. You're going to have to improve by a decent amount. But there's no reason to cancel. Okay, um, this is an interesting one because we kind of went back and forth, but this is from BN and they emailed me, hey Ben, I came to one or two of your free classes over the winter and found them to be so helpful. I took the LSAT in January after studying for roughly for two to three months for one to two hours a day. I had been only using um, Khan Academy, which is going away, that's LSAT's free resource, and had scored pretty high on those. First at a 164 and even getting to the 178 range once in a while. Granted, I probably could have made it more test-like. Um, so yeah, their practice testing between 164 to 178, that's a really wide range, which probably does indicate that they're doing some finagling with their practice tests. Uh, that being said, it also could have been improvement. But if it's truly a 14-point range, that's odd. That's very wide. Uh, but also it's possible that the 164 was while you were first learning, and then the 178 was as you got better understanding. So, you know, it's hard to say. I would just, yeah, like you said, this person mentions that they could have made their tests more test-like. I would evaluate that. If you're really being easy on yourself, that can be a problem. I'm not saying you want to be like brutal towards your 
self, but like you want it to be tussling because if you are giving yourself five extra minutes or allowing yourself to get up during a section um, to go do something, it does break up the flow. Uh, obviously life comes up and that can happen from time to time. But if you're doing that every section, you don't know where you're at. And that's a problem. You need to have an actual understanding of where your score is at because this person then took the test and got a 163. And they say they can do better than that, which like, yeah, your practice test scores do indicate you can do better. So this person should retake. The only thing where I would hesitate if I were this person and not hesitate to take the test, but hesitate in terms of evaluating my process is the fact that they are scoring su substantially higher on their practice test, like way higher. And then they're scoring lower. That makes me wonder if they're giving themselves too much rope and um, really allowing themselves to do the LSAT in an easier format when they're studying on their own. I don't know that that's what's happening, but it seems possible that that's the case. And they even concede that they uh, could have made it more test-like. Now, what's the question with that? Does that mean it's straight up untimed? Or does that mean they're giving themselves two extra minutes at the end or filling in bubbles after time ends? I don't know, because that could be a huge amount of extra leeway. It could be a small amount. But either way, I would try to dial that in to make sure that your 178s are you know, representative of actual test day as opposed to like an easier version of the test. So they continue. Anyway, I would love your advice on if I should cancel my score and when do you think I should take it again? So first off, don't cancel 163. It's There's no reason. It's not a bad enough score that anyone will look down on it. Um, also, if it's your first test, you know, 163 is not a bad score. So there's no reason to cancel it. Yeah, if you're capable of higher, you should obviously retake, but there's no reason to cancel. Um, they continue. I don't really have anyone in my close circle to give me advice, so anything would help. I am also hoping to go to a T14 school and potentially get money. Right now, I have maintained a 4.0 GPA but also I'm studying abroad this spring. So probably will be unable to study until May. Any thoughts you have would be greatly appreciated. Thank you so much. Well, first off, while you're abroad, I would just try to maintain. If you're already practicing a 178, even just once, that means you have a mastery of the test to where you don't really have to make progress. There might be some nuanced things you're missing, like small things, but for the most part, you're doing very well in the LSAT. So it's not like you have these giant study um, games that you have to make. You've already done most of the hard work. At this point, you're maintaining. So I would keep studying a little bit while you're abroad. Um, that can be like roughly one practice practice test a week, not even doing um, sections daily or anything like that. It could just be when you're on a train, um, like do a logic game for 15 minutes, like stuff like that. Just keep yourself sharp because you are going to want to um, have that. So beyond that, I would also make sure that your practice tests are realistic because it sounds like they might not be. And I really don't know because um, I'm, I'm not assuming, well, I'm trying not to assume here because there can be a wide variety of how generous this person is being with themselves. They might have given themselves a few guesses once, at which point they're barely modifying their practice tests. They also could have been straight up doing them untimed, in which point their practice tests are entirely unrealistic. So only you know where you fall upon that continuum. And you just have to, you know, make sure you're being relatively realistic. With that, I would just keep firing though. You're, you're sworn highly on practice tests, which means you, those are just actual LSATs administered in the past. So they are representative of what you'll see on the actual test date. So keep shooting your shot. Your first take was 163. You have four more takes. If I were you, I would take February, which it's probably too late for that. But, you know, I would take April, June, and then you have August as your final take. August does have no more logic games, which does make the test a little bit harder. But that being said, this person has a mastery of all three sections. They are not relying on logic games to carry them. A lot of people scoring 165, 170, they might really rely on logic games. If you're scoring the high 170s, you'll do fine without logic games. Obviously, I still think having logic games makes it easier, but you're not hurt as much as kind of the people on the margins of the 99th percentile. Um, so yeah, uh, I basically put that advice in written format and they responded saying um, their scores have all been in the 175 to 180 range recently. So they've made a ton of progress 
um, from that 164. Um, so yeah, I, I basically told her like, hey, like make sure your sets are realistic, keep studying. Um, other than that, like you can have a bad day on the LSAT. You can always have your worst day, and that's normal. Like. I mean, it's not normal and that it's not what you should expect, but you should expect it as a possibility. Like you can go in and just get the absolute worst reading comp for you, the absolute worst logic, logical reasoning, the absolute worst logic games, and the dog can be barking next door and your like, roommate is vacuuming. You have no way of knowing this isn't going to happen. Um, and that can legitimately drop you from a 175 to 163. I It is still a pretty extreme drop. Don't get me wrong. 12 points is a lot, even within a normal margin of error. Um, so I do think that there might be something there because like a 163 is a total meltdown compared to where you're scoring. Not to say 163 is a total meltdown. For some people, that's a fine score. But remember, LSAT prep is always relative. Like for that other person, a 155 was crushing it. For this person, a 163 is relative. So just compare yourself to yourself. Um, but yeah, basically, I would just keep studying. Uh, there's nothing more to do than that. Okay, next up, we have one from NI. Um, hey, Ben, hope you're doing well. My name is N. I'm from Toronto, Canada. This January was my first time giving the LSAT. I would love to talk to you about my strengths and weaknesses if you have time and is free of cost. Ha ha, let me know, please. All right, so first off, I'd immediately say that your writing isn't great. I don't know, obviously you are just banging off an email to a random LSAC guy. Like it, he might not be proofreading, which is totally fine. But, you know, lawyers do communicate in the English language. They are very um, professional in how they communicate. So I would really make sure you're cleaning that up and um, just getting into a better habit of, you know, not making grammatical mistakes. Small things are going to happen. I often make grammatical mistakes in emails. I often see them and then don't care to even fix them because I know the person will understand what I'm saying. Um, but as a general rule, like you should be proofreading. Also, uh, meeting with me one-on-one -on -one is not free of cost. I, you know, have bills to pay and, you know, I'm happy to meet with folks, but ultimately it does break up my day. It costs me time, which I only have a finite amount of, as we all do. So if you want to meet with me one-on-one, -on -one, you are welcome to book that. I have various options on my website. However, if you just want to like ask basic questions, that's why I do the podcast, shooting emails. I'm happy to do these for free um, in this kind of public format. And I will redact your name unless you're public. If you want to be public, that's also fine. But yeah, NI continues. Other than that, I received a score within the 140s and with LSAC taking analytical reasoning out in August. So that's logic games. No one calls it analytical reasoning. So I wonder how much you've prepped if you're even just calling it that, that automatically gives me a sense that you really haven't studied yet because no one calls it analytical reasoning in the prep space. Um, like logic games technically is not what it's called, but everyone calls it that, like literally everyone. Um, but they continue. And I wanting to have my score secured by October before I apply for law schools. So I want to have my score secured by October. And once again, grammatical mistake, I, I wonder if this person's first language is in English, which if that's true, the LSAT's an uphill battle. I'm not gonna say you can't succeed, but this is a very strict test of like the nuances of the English language. And if you're having trouble with like subject verb agreement, um, that's going to be an issue. So, you know, I'm not saying you can't do it. I'm just saying that you might need to work on your English skills more broadly, writing and reading to get better at that. And obviously the LSAT logic and figuring out all that stuff matters as well. Um, but if you're having trouble even reading and having trouble with hard vocabulary words, it, this is just going to be an uphill battle. So I would um, spend some time there as well. They're just saying, I'm trying to figure out when to give my next LSAT or how to space it out. Um, well, that's easy. You just don't take it until you like your practice test scores. I, I get this question all the time, but it's a very simple answer, which is don't register for the LSAT until your scores indicate you're ready. If you're doing it before then, I don't know what you're doing because miracles don't happen. I wish they did. Um, I'm not gonna say it can literally never happen. You can have a fluke, but it's like a one in a thousand. It's not one in 10. It's not one in a hundred. It's very uncommon to just go on a test day and fluke your way to a good score. So you really should not plan on it. Um, so they continue. I wish I could just give it a second time and hopefully I get my wanted score by the second time. Once again, wanted score, the score I want, like 
just a lot of English mistakes. So I would try to help that. Um, so yeah, basically this person's asking about their timeline. I would say don't take the test again until you are ready. It really is that simple. Alrighty. Um, so yeah, let's do a personal statement and then we'll do a few Reddit questions. Okay, cool, cool. So this is the last one. This is from almost a month ago. So whoops. This is a personal statement. Um, yeah, uh, this is RA is their initials and let's read it. They start by saying, every time I stepped out of my boarded up fence, ready to go to preschool with my mom, holding my hand, I would pass by all of Baseline Street. That's kind of fun. I actually grew up near Baseline um, in Colorado. It's it's not the street I lived off of, but it's the street next to the street I lived off of. Uh, you know, I think it's a fairly common street name, like Broadway or stuff like that. Uh, but already, I don't like this. You're talking about preschool. So I'm picturing you as a four-year-old and I want to be picturing you as a professional adult. So you're already kind of, you know, having issues there. So I don't love that. They continue. We would encounter many homeless people idling and sleeping in tents. Okay, I, I guess that's fine. Um, I still don't love this because I maybe you're going to go in the direction of like empathy, but I don't know. I, I care more about what you've done. And so far, I know you're a three-year-old witnessing homelessness, which like not sucks, but like it's not relevant to you being a lawyer. I remember the smell of cigarettes, of marijuana, and of pee. I, I would say urine just to make it sound better, but you know, that's a small thing. As we quickly walk through the sidewalk, um, also generally cut all adverbs, search command F L Y space in your thing and cut every single adverb. I promise you adjectives and adverbs tend to detract from your writing rather than add to it. You are not applying to poetry school. You are applying to law school. You are going to be a lawyer. And the job here is to communicate information about how you're a kick-ass person, not how you're going to win a Pulitzer Prize one day. Um, so we can cut all this imagery, but let's see what your point is. I have not stopped seeing so many cop cars cruising throughout my neighborhood, comma, I continue to hear police sirens, comma, and the cry of ambulance is headed in the direction of me. That feels grammatically off. I don't think that's a sentence. Um, I don't have Grammarly in front of me, and I don't have literally all the grammatical rules memorized, but that seems like three comma slices, or sorry, two comma slices. I feel like those should be three sentences, or you want to um, combine those differently. Either way, sounds weird, and if it sounds weird, that's bad enough. So I would modify that. But once again, I don't care about using cop cars. I don't care about you hearing police sirens. But like, why does this matter? We're still not there yet. But let's see where we go with this. Growing up and living in the city of San Bernardino, California, known as the number one most dangerous city in America. So that's in a positive clause. They need commas there. They missed commas. So you also have to be careful with that. Has influenced my desire to advocate for the less fortunate. Okay, sure. Um, so we're this is a lot of sh sh kind of um telling. Like we, we did show the uh, experience. So I guess we did kind of show what you witnessed, but we also showed you witnessing it as a um, four-year-old, which like, why, why do we even mention you're in preschool? If anything, talk about how you experienced this in college. Well, you know, when you're an adult and could do something about it, that's more powerful. People love to do these kind of artsy, like little kid stories. I, just, I, I don't want to picture you as a little kid when I'm reading your law school application. But I want to picture you as an adult that's going to come and be a kick-out law student. And if you could show yourself being a 21-year-old witnessing this and then doing something about it, that's so much more powerful than like a four-year-old asking like, mommy, why does he smell like urine? Like, it's just not powerful. So, so be careful with that. But I know this is common. Like, this is a very common trope. I'm not saying you're like uniquely bad. But, you know, not the direction I'm going. Okay, continuing. Although this is how San Bernardino is viewed by many, I just would cut that. To me, it's my home, and I see the potential it has to become better. Okay, so for what it's worth, I didn't even know that San Bernardino was the number one most dangerous city in America. I think of St. Louis. I think of Detroit. I don't, I, don't, I can't even point to San Bernardino on a map. Um, no offense. But, like, I just, 
I, I don't think it has that big of a global perspective. So unless you're applying to like California schools, I think people are gonna be like, what are you talking about? Um, like, I didn't know that about San Bernardino. But okay, sure, you wanna improve your community, generally showing that rather than saying how you want to do it is better. Um, so if you've done something, that'd be awesome. Continuing, currently in college, I was talking to my mom about wanting to work at a law firm. She responded with, quote, and this is Spanish, ah, para secretaria o asistante verdad. Whoops, I'm sure I butchered that, but you know, yeah. And then they have the question mark outside of the quotation marks, which is a problem. And that continues meaning, oh, as a legal secretary or assistant, right? And legal is capitalized, that should not be capitalized. And then the question mark is inside the quotation marks now, which is correct, but you did the exact wrong thing just slightly earlier. So you wanna make sure it's consistent. I mean, you wanna make sure it's correct, but also consistent. So careful with that. I know it wasn't to discourage me or anything, especially when my mother, which is capitalized, mom is not capitalized, has done nothing but support me in my educational journey. And it hurts me that she views my career as unachievable because of our Mexican nationality and low socioeconomic background. Um, okay, I mean, yeah, I, I don't, like, that sucks. I'm sorry you don't have supportive, like, a supportive mom, but that doesn't do anything for you being a lawyer. Like, you know, it just isn't relevant. Whether or not your parents support you, like, yes, that's very relevant to your life. But it's not relevant to whether a law school should or should not admit you. Um, so I would cut that off. They continue. My Hispanic culture and underdeserved community, sorry, underserved community, feel as though it's impossible to become a lawyer or doctor. So you're saying you're, well, what you mean is that this culture and community makes it feel as though it's impossible to become a lawyer or doctor. Your community does not feel anything because it's a community. So you have to be very careful to make sure your um, senses make sense. You are personifying your community and that's not what you mean. You also capitalize lawyer or doctor. Those are not those are not proper nouns. So you wanna um, lowercase those. So yeah, uh, continuing on. It seems so far and out of reach and unattainable. I'm like, okay, I, I'm sure that could be true. But if anything, you're now saying I don't belong and you show yourself being a kick-ass person. As of now, all I know about this person is they grew up in San Bernardino. Their mom doubted them, they're Hispanic. Um, none of which are points for you being a lawyer. They're, they're not points against you, but they're not points for you either. And you've made a lot of writing mistakes. So, so far, this statement has done more harm than good. Um, continuing, my upbringing has encouraged me to provide students with similar disadvantaged backgrounds like myself, comma, which there shouldn't be a comma here, the opportunity to make attending law school or any higher institution a reality. Okay, so cut that down to fewer words. Um, but also, I don't, like, show, don't tell. I, I don't want you to just give these conclusions to me. I want you to, like, you know, make me believe you. I don't believe you. Yet. I'm not saying I don't actually believe you, but if I take your word for it, I have no reason to take your word for it. You actually need to give me the reasons and you are yet to do that. So that's our whole first paragraph for one, very long first paragraph. Generally, I would try to keep your first paragraph to like five sentences or fewer. Um, this is like 10, 15. Um, it almost takes up the whole first page. So I would probably cut nearly all that and go in a different direction. Hopefully we get some good stuff here. I don't know what we're going to, but um, as of now, I'm not alone. Continuing. I'm a first-generation Latina with the means to further my education in a more than rewarding field. Okay, so like you don't have to suck up to law school. I know people love to say more than rewarding. Law school already likes law school. You don't have to convince them law school is cool. Also, you're a first-generation Latina where all your parents like white or black. Um, you have to say you're a first-generation like student and Latina. Um, but when you say you're first-generation Latina, what that technically means is that you're the first person in your family to be a Latina. And I don't believe that's how, I mean, maybe if you were adopted, but um, beyond that, you're gonna have to rephrase that. Also, to help those who speak my native language in their time of need, since my community is largely affected by legal issues, that is not a sentence. Um, so you're gonna have to rewrite that as well. You really need to run this grammarly. Um, I mean, I'd be happy to help you because this one needs a lot of help. Don't get me wrong, but um, you know, 
I would try to run it through Grammarly at the bare minimum. I, I mean, given the amount of mistakes you're making, I would probably get help beyond that, but at minimum, run it through Grammarly. I would love to be a supporter and a voice for my Latin with an E community, since they're at a disadvantage for not being able to seek aid due to language barriers, bias, and racial discrimination. Uh, yeah, show yourself doing that. Um, don't just make that conclusion. Also, Latin, I, I think you mean like Latino or Latina, um, or if you're like very progressive, Latinx, but I've never heard Latin. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I just don't know, but that I, I've never seen that before. I could be wrong. Um, so yeah, I've assisted with increasing employment opportunities for students as an auxiliary payroll and personal student assistant on campus. Oh yeah, talk about that. This is an actual position you did and you said you've helped us. Like you've helped disadvantaged groups in that position. Talk about that. That's way more powerful than just saying I grew up in a poor area that makes me motivated. Um, I would dive into that. Conducting interviews for potential recruitment is an important factor when deciding whether or not extending a position to work as a student employment should be granted. Uh, okay, so you're saying you're interviewing people to be student employees. I, I'd say that in a simpler way. This is like an LSAT reading comprehension sentence where it's like poorly written to get a pretty simple idea across. But, you know, I don't hate the content now. This is better content for sure. Uh, but let's continue. I help many international students specifically with completing their onboarding process, receiving promotional offers, and most importantly, supporting them as a service representative, ensuring their professional needs are met. Yeah, you can talk about a specific person, the imagery you want to do in your accomplishments. Talk about like the person who came from Taiwan or from Honduras and talk about what they did to um, how you helped onboard them, how you helped them get a job. Because that's what you're saying. And that is so much more powerful than saying, I help people get jobs. Um, or saying, I want to help my community. If you can show yourself actually helping someone, it really drives the point home. And then you don't have to draw those conclusions yourself. Continuing, with all of the hardships and challenges I've undergone in my undergrad years, um, which we didn't talk about, so I would just not mention that, my compassion makes a difference. My compassion to make a difference continues to motivate me to allow others to have the opportunity and guidance I wish I had early on. Once again, very conclusive. Don't say that. Let's show us. Show us the person. It's so much more powerful. All right. Uh, but let's continue. Upon embarking on my legal journey, I needed to learn more about the process it takes to get into law school. I had, which like, that's true for everyone. I would just cut that. I had the privilege to intern with the Legal Scholars Program located in Temecula, California. The program highly encouraged me. So once again, L-Y adverb, cut it. Highly encouraged me to fulfill my academic interests in the legal field. Mm, okay, maybe. Um, I question how much these programs are like law school, and I think law schools know that as well. I mean, it's not a bad fact. I just, it's not like kick and ass. It's kind of a pretty basic pre-law thing. I would probably cut that and focus more on helping people get jobs. They continue. My favorite part of the program has to be courtroom shadowing in Marietta with a defense attorney named Robin Johnson. Um, defense attorneys also capitalized. That's not a proper noun. I would um, lowercase that. But okay, sure, you intern or you shadow. Shadowing is kind of, I'd probably keep shadowing on your person's name as well. That's not exactly an active thing. I mean, it's not terrible, but like there's got to be better. She described her day-to-day -day life while working alongside her, the perks, and how fulfilling her career is. Um, so the once again, you made an English mistake. You said while working alongside her, and she is the last now, which means she is describing the perks of working alongside herself. I think what you meant is that while you worked alongside her for that day, she described these things, but you really have to clean that up. Grammarly will catch that. Um, but that is, once again, a grammatical mistake. Uh, within the Legal Scholars Program, I was able to understand and grasp the requirements needed to apply by meeting with countless admissions officers, networking with current law students, and the opportunity to meet the mayor at the town hall of Temecula. But unfortunately, my car started to give me issues and I was unable to time. Um, don't, don't even talk about that. Just if you're going to say your car gave you issues, just drop that you were going to meet with the mayor. Um, like it's just, it doesn't belong if you didn't do it. Having a plan to do something and then not being able to make it because something happened is not something that belongs in your personal statement. So cut that. Also, meeting with admissions officers, current law students, all that doesn't belong either. Like focus on you, don't focus on like 
This is kind of pretty awkward. Continuing, the commute was far from my car and had to be taken to a mechanic on the day of the intern appreciation luncheon. It's like, this does not belong. I don't care that you had car trouble. Like, I'm sorry, that sucks. But like, this is not in your personal statement. What are we doing here? Um, continuing, I'm having hardships financially and worried financial instability will affect my ability to attend law school in the future. Um, yeah, I mean, that could. If anything, that just means you got to get a really high LSAT score GPA. Um, obviously, we're in a personal statement here, but like this person hasn't gotten their best LSAT score yet. That's where you need plenty of your attention. Obviously, fix this statement, but where you're really going to pick up chances is by fixing your LSAT. Nonetheless, I'm dedicated to furthering my education, making the most out of the most presented opportunities that continue to rise and making the legal profession accessible to every low-income student. Yeah, you don't make law school more accessible by going to law school. Um, you Law school is already really accessible. In fact, it's arguably too accessible. They take too many people's money and put them in a crazy debt. So if, if, legal, if legal profession is inaccessible to you, um, not because of cost, but because of not being able to get in, that means you should not be a lawyer. Like if you struggle to get into law school, law school is not for you. Law school is really easy to get into. Like we were talking about earlier, getting into a good law school at a good price is can be tricky, but just getting in is like so easy. It's so easy. If you have a hard time with that, that means this is not the field for you. Um, but yeah, we continue. Either way, we're just kind of restating a lot of conclusions. We didn't actually give much here. Um, like all I know about this person at this point is that they did like a student job, which we could expand upon. And they did a legal like program. Nothing that makes me think they're going to come to law school and kick ass. And I don't know this person's numbers, but from without knowing their numbers, this applicate or this essay does not make me optimistic about their chances. In fact, I would say this is a net detractor. If this person had good numbers, I would now worry of about um, the fact they haven't really done anything worth talking about. And if this person has, um, sorry, if they have high numbers, I would think that if they have low numbers, I'd be like, yeah, this person's not going to crush it. And I'm not saying you can't. I'm saying that's the message this essays giving off. Well, let's continue. As I continue my journey, I've applied to intern for the San Bernardino County Superior Court. Don't talk about what you've applied to do. If you got the job, talk about it. But like, I can apply to be on the Supreme Court. That doesn't make me on the Supreme Court. So like, don't mention what you've applied to do. It's not powerful. Talk about what you've actually done. And then they continue to talk about what they would do if they were at the court, which like, no, bad, bad juju. Don't talk about that. Um, so overall, uh, I feel this is my most common message, but back to the drawing board, I think going into your um, student job about how you help people get onboarded, um, particularly your international students could be interesting. But beyond that, I would really cut that out. Um, not, not a good personal statement. That one definitely hurts you. The writing is not clean either. So that hurts you even further. Um, but yeah, basically the gist there is you get to start over, which I, I find to be my most common one. I promise I will have a good one one day. Um, but yeah, fun stuff there. Okay. Well, with that in mind, let's do a few Reddit questions and then we will call it a day. So the first question is a score cancel. And they say, should I cancel the 158 I got on the January? We will keep it quick. No, you have no need to cancel. Canceling doesn't really do anything for you. Law schools will assume the worst and then only take your highest scores. So you never need to cancel. All right, we'll keep it there. Um, no need to read more. And the next person asks last minute LR tips. Um, no, there are no last minute tips. I, I know how people love to ask this, but that's not how the LSAT works. You don't learn tips to get better. You learn how to do the questions. And that's through repetition. They say, I don't know what's going on with my LR. It's so inconsistent. In the past five weeks, I've gotten minus two and minus seven on various sections. Um, I'm stressing because I take the February test this weekend. Any last minute to help my consistency in the section. It's hard to know without knowing your situation. The likely thing is you're going too fast and allowing yourself to miss easy questions. Um, but yeah, I mean, beyond that, like read careful, be more skeptical on the answers. 
And then finally, 145 to low 160s in five months of consistent studying. Is this considered decent progress or more on the slower side? Yeah, I'd say slower, but it's not bad progress either. You have gone up 15 some points in five months. Um, I wouldn't compare yourself to others. I would just focus on continuing to study. As long as you're better understanding the questions you're doing and you are seeing yourself um, make progress, that's what you got to focus on. So focus on one question at a time. Don't focus on this overall timeline. Um, I find that it's more stressful than it's worth and it doesn't do anything for you. So instead, just focus on doing the question in front of you and that will help you get better. Okay, and our final thing for the day is law school lingo. We're talking LORs. LORs are letters of rap. Um, so it's, you know, letters of recommendation you get from either a former supervisor or former professor. Generally, professors are better, but you can go in either direction with those. Um, schools tend to require two and up to four, just send two. Unless you have like four kick-ass letters, it actually will detract from your application if you send too many. So you definitely want to be careful to um, send good ones and not burden the law school with more reading than they want to do. I promise you, if you send four, even one of them is subpar. That will hurt you more than if you just sent two. Alrighty. Well, that is the episode for today. Short and sweet. Um, if you want to hear anything on the podcast, whether it's LSAT or admissions related, just send an email to me at ben at lsasimplified.com. Um, I also don't advertise the podcast. So tell a friend, like us on, well, like me, it's just one of me. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all that stuff. It really helps the algorithm. Um, but yeah, otherwise, I will see you all next time. <laughs>